0: Welcome to Miracles in Recovery with Ray Lynch. If you are one of the millions of people facing addiction issues or the loved one of someone who is, we're here to help and to discuss solutions. Hope is in your corner. Now, here's your host, Ray Lynch.
1: Good evening and welcome to Miracles in Recovery. I, again, am in the studio by myself. I think... Ellen must think I smell or something. I don't know. Hi, Ellen. How are you?
2: (laughs) I'm good. How are you?
1: Good, good. You just get your busy week because you're missing a day or something like that, you said?
2: Yeah, I work in a production shop and, you know, having a day off is nice, but you kind of end up working extra on all the other days to make up
1: for it. Right, right, right. So I'm literally still at my computer. Well, speaking of working, that was a decent segue there. We have Eric Coleman on the line. He's an ex-NFL standout. He was drafted by the New York Jets in 2004 and also played for the Atlanta Falcons and the Detroit Lions. Hi, Eric. How are you? I'm sorry. I'm doing oh. great. How are you two doing? <laughs> Good. <laughs> sorry, Good. Good. It's all, of all these jobs you have. You fell asleep for a real quick second, right? <laughs> I actually hit the mute button on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's it's very rare that we have everyone within the conversation in the state of Florida. You know, I like, the studio is in Port St. Lucie, Ellen is at home calling in in Stuart, and you said you are in Boca Raton, correct? Yes, sir.
3: I'm, I'm in, Bo- in Boca Raton, uh, down here with some business partners. Actually, I'm escaping the heat in New York. It's been scorching in New York, about ninety-eight degrees today, and
1: uh, in Florida it was only eighty-eight. So for the first time, New York is hotter than Florida. Yeah, I mean that's that's what the you know that, that's the crazy thing about the heat here. The heat is consistent. It doesn't get you know like abrasive like it like it does up north. I'm I'm originally from uh, the Boston area, so that humidity is, is brutal.
2: I know. Yeah, I had I to come back from the mountains in North Carolina. I was so hot. I had to come yeah. back to Florida.
1: You know, isn't crazy. that it was crazy? So hot,
3: uh, it was so hot this weekend that my sister-in-law's um, HVAC, her her air conditioning unit, literally blew up and it wasn't playing. Oh, wow, <laughs> what a terrible thing! <laughs> That's that so strange. we're not we're not used to the like you said we're not used to the consistency in New York.
1: Right, right. Well, you grew up in Sacramento, correct? Which is which is kind of a a decent climated. Uh, environment, it's it's really kind of, almost like on the level of of New York or Boston. I think it's the same, like east to west, uh, yeah, longitude you know,
3: wise. Is, it, yeah, Sacramento is a desert and it's definitely hot. But you know, I, I spent a lot of my time in Washington State as well. So Washington State, we got all four seasons. So I'm used to the variations. You know, both places are, are desert. They don't get the humidity like they do on the East Coast. So when I got right, drafted yeah. by the Jets, I uh, you know going through training camp. I was—I didn't know anything about humidity, and I had to get an IV after every practice because I was having
1: a whole body Oh, I'm 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 sure. Welcome to <laughs> welcome to the East Coast. It's <laughs> almost like it's almost like playing in Denver, right? You don't you get like lightheaded there because of the altitude? Oh,
3: yeah. yeah, it's a tough playing in Denver as well. I mean, you know, over a mile high in the air, the air is mm. so thin, and it reminds you every corner in your locker room you are miles above sea level. Right before they <laughs> come out to the stadium, they have signs everywhere reminding you that you're not you're not in New York anymore.
1: No, that and that's yeah, that's to psych, oh,
3: yeah. too Oh Atlanta so, was tough, yeah. The humidity was was a step, was, yeah. was a step higher than, than New York. You know, it was it was tough, but wonderful place to live.
1: So let's yeah, I've from the there beginning for about twenty years. Beauty. Let's start from the beginning in beautiful Sacramento, California. What high school did you go there to there, Eric? And the reason why I ask is because my brother is, has been a high school teacher there for... He got out of the Air Force in 85, maybe, and he's been in Sacramento teaching ever since.
3: Oh, wow. So I was born in Sacramento, and I, was, um, I, was, I actually moved up to Washington State when I was six years old. My oh, okay. Sister, my older sister... My oldest sister graduated from Hiram Johnson High School in Sacramento, and my father now lives in Elk Grove, and you yep. know, so so we're all over Sacramento. But um, I, I went to school in Washington State at Lewis and Clark High School, so um, it, it was it was, a, it was a great place to live, you know. Uh, yeah. So family I, atmosphere, some good people.
1: So it was just a, it, that was just a normal transition to uh, Washington State. Or did you want to go somewhere else and that, that one just made sense to stay local?
3: Well, you know, it, it was that my, I my grandparents had moved up to Spokane. My father was in the military. There's an Air Force base up in Spokane. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of family there. So, you know, we, we have a, a, a very large family. And, you know, wherever, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to be around your cousins. and you know, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so, that, so it was a nice transition. And, you know, I, I would spend, you know, my parents got divorced when I was 11. So I would go spend
1: summers with my father and stuff
3: and so I got to the think you know, of both sides of the family
1: growing up so it was nice. Yeah, no, know, that's cool. I guess yeah, I guess you can stay connected that way and and you know, coming from a large family, how many kids were in your family? Well, brothers I, and sisters.
3: I've have, I have one brother, one sister and, and I have a half brother. But, you know, my okay. my both parents come from, you know, both parents have seven brothers and sisters, so I have a ton of cousins and uh, yeah, you know, a lot yeah, of relatives yeah. And my mom was the youngest so All my first cousins were like my mom's age, so my second cousins were my age, so it was, we had a very large family,
1: and we were very close. You know, that just brings up a a question. Does that help? Like, say if you were, I mean, I'm sure that you probably know somebody that you played with that came from a single child home or two children uh, with not a big, huge family environment. Did that help you um, adjust to team camaraderie because you had such a huge family environment that it was easier to get along with a crowd? I, I do think it did, you know, because, you know, you have to think about it. You have to deal with a lot of different personalities. You have to
3: uh, use teamwork. It's, it's not just about you. You know, you have to make decisions that, that don't just concern yourself, but they concern your younger brother or your older sister or older right. cousins who are around. So, it, so I think it does help you, uh, I guess, prepare for being in that team environment. where you have to work with others so much. You have to learn the different personalities. You have to know your role within that system. And having a large family, I think does help help in that
1: situation I, I, I'm sure it may you know what I mean like because coming like just for me, having coming from seven brothers and sisters and having like you said my 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 uh mother had came from six children, my dad only came from three only came from three, I said so that you know but we had a we had a huge cousin base as well, and when we were kids, we were constantly family oriented and i think that kind of helped me as a child adjust in school adjust in sports you know um because it was easy to talk to somebody that one you never saw before or two you only saw during the season you know because that's like a cousin a cousin comes into your life on Mm -hmm. fourth of july and then he's gone until thanksgiving
3: (laughs) yeah i agree with that you know it's nice you know And that's what was special about going to visit different families. You know, you just pick up from where you left off. You know, it's like your good friend who you haven't seen since high school. You see them and uh, and you catch up right where you left off. And, you know, it's it's a good feeling. But, you know, it definitely makes you tough. You know, you learn how to, you know, not be the weak link. (laughs) Uh, I think it brought some toughness to me. It brought some some responsibility to me. Uh, You know, especially growing up in a family where there was addiction and, you know, my parents were uh, divorced. I think that it helped
1: me grow up and have some responsibility as well. Well, share a little bit about the addiction in your family. What? How did it, how, it? It wasn't you per se, but it was family members, correct?
3: Yeah. So, so both of my parents, you know, were addicted to crack cocaine when I was growing up. Um, my my father was also an alcoholic, and you know, when I was about eleven years old, I discovered you know drug paraphernalia in my parents' room, and I remember it just devastated me. You know, I was yeah. You know, asking myself, you know, why my parents, you know, why is this situation happening to mine? You know, my parents both had, had good jobs. My father was a truck driver. My mother was a social worker. Um, you know, we were good kids and, and why did this have to hit my family? You know, and you know, I just remember having this resentment towards them, you know, knowing, you know, thinking that I never wanted to be like them. And another thing that I did was I tried to shield it from my younger brother, who's two years younger than me. And mm-hmm. so I tried to protect him from it. And, um, shortly after that, that happened a couple months later. You know, I was going off to school, you know, kissed my father goodbye, and I came home from school. My car was gone. All my father's stuff was gone, and he had left from Spokane, Washington. He went back home to Sacramento and and left Mm. him. I didn't from him for about three years. So, you know, while my mother was going through those battles, while she was going through those struggles with her addiction, you know, I had to be the responsible one in the house. And how old were you? I was 11, 12 years old. Yeah, that's that's tough. Yeah. That's tough. It must have
2: been very traumatic.
3: Yeah, it was traumatic. You know, and it forced me to grow up very quick. It kind of stripped me of my childhood, you know, trying to raise my brother and and hold him accountable for his grades and how he acted and, you know, how he treated my mom and, you know, and have to look over an adult, you know, and then there was, you know, know, there was the drug dealers that were coming in and out of the house. There was the boyfriends, you know, hitting on my mom. You know, there was the resentment because, this man in my house isn't my father. So there was a lot of issues that I had to deal with that I didn't really have anyone to go to uh, when I was going through those situations. So I think that I leaned on sports in those situations. You know, we lived across the street from uh, um, a middle school. But I would go over to the fields and, you know, play basketball. I would go run. I would go hit the, the tackling sled
1: and just do whatever I could to get away from what was going on in my home life. Mm yeah you know and the sad reality is eric that that happens to more families than we care to um say you know what i mean there's a lot of you know addiction i mean you you well know i mean it it kind of drove you to a point where you are um fully wrapped up in in the recovery aspect of of helping people and we'll share about that a little bit down the way but you know the the thing about it is, is that there are more families affected by, more communities affected by addiction than, you know, ever before. And like, what are we really doing to, to help? I mean, you know, we, we look at the, Mm -hmm. we look at the, we look at poor little Eric and we say, oh, that, you know, that poor kid, look at his mother, look at his environment. Oh, wow, look, he made himself into something better than the situation that he grew up in. But, we don't address that situation and help the people that are going to follow down the street, you know, Mm -hmm. it's tough. I mean, I agree. I I agree with that. And
3: and, and when you see people in those situations, it's like, it it affects so many people other than the person who's addicted, you know, it affects affects the way you grow up. And, um, you know, that's why, you know, I like to get involved with, with that aspect of it as well, because, you know, I, I when I go speak to kids in community centers who aren't doing well, um, you know, they, they have problems at home. You know, I always tell them, I'm straight up with them, you know. You can use it as an excuse to, to follow that path, or you can use it as motivation. And, right. you know, fortunately for me, you know, it wasn't just me. I didn't just decide, you know, I'm going to go to the NFL. You know, my parents are on drugs. I'm going to <laughs> the NFL. Yeah. You know, it was, <laughs> there were a lot of people, <laughs> right, and there were a lot of good people in my life that stepped in and helped out. You know, I have I, I, my faith in God. You know, I always had that moral compass and someone to answer to, you know, when, when things didn't go right. You know, I had friends who went the other way, who were close mm-hmm. to me. And, you know, just knowing that that's not the right thing to do, you know, kept me out of those, kept me out of a lot of trouble. And, um, you know, I, and thankfully, you know, my athletic talents attracted more people. You know, they, they attracted some coaches, some people in the neighborhood who wanted right. to work out for me. Oh, that's Eric. You know, you stay away from me. You know, because you're, you're a good athlete. You know, you have a good head on your shoulders. So I had a lot of people that looked out for me, and, and I'm very mm-hmm. fortunate for them. And, and I try to do that myself right now. In the position I'm in, try to be that person that, that brings some light to some kids who are going through a tough time, Bring some light to people who are going through that, those tough issues because there is light at the end of the tunnel. You know, if you do ask for help, you do receive that help and, um, and, and allow people to, to help you.
1: You know, there's there's something that you you know you that you just said, and and I have I printed out real quick uh, Wikipedia right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm gonna I'm gonna say what's on there. You probably can you probably go on there and look and go, yeah, that's not right. But it says that you are a mentor for my brother's keeper mentorship program. What is that? So it was a program um, started by the Obama administration. Uh, it's about.
3: Trying to be, be like a big brother, big brother to, to different okay. uh, kids in, in, in troubled neighborhoods. So you know what we do: go to go to community centers, um, have roundtable talks with high school kids, you know, kids who are troubled, who have troubles at home, who are going through issues, who don't know how, don't know a way out, and you try to be a mentor to them and show them that uh, that, that there is a way out. You know, it's one thing to just sit there and tell them, you know, everything can be okay, but for them. For them to see me, you know, former professional athlete, uh, NFL player who went through what they're going through and, and mm-hmm. for me to be able to sit down and talk to them, for them to be able to touch me, ask me questions, ask me those tough questions to see if it's just, you know, is it just TV? Are you just being, you know, mechanical or are you being real? Because I'm real with them. And, and right. I think that it's important for people who are in those situations, who are successful, who made it out of tough times, to go back and give to those, to those kids that are less fortunate than be because they are our future.
1: You know, so now is are, this, pro- um, is this program still in effect? Is it still um, going on? Not, not so
3: much. You know, what I try to do now is just get involved wherever I can, you know, try to go speak. I speak to high schools, speak to middle schools. Um, I'm doing a, a big PSA with the state of New York uh, talking about drug prevention. That's going to play in all the high schools um, throughout the state and as well as the colleges cool. And, and really just try to talk about the effects of drugs and, and how it can it really mess up your life.
1: All right. Well, well, you know, when we come back on the other side, we've got a couple of minutes before the break. But when we come back on the other side, we'll, we'll probably have you say how people can get in touch with you to maybe have you come speak at a high school or if, if it's you go through a specific i don't know how you do it but maybe you can share with people who are listening we're, we're, we're worldwide right now well people who are listening how they can get in touch with you and how they can get your message because it is a, an incredible message where you can where you came from and where you've brought yourself you know i mean that that's uh that's very very um, commendable to you, but it's an incredible story to anyone else who is feeling that um, weight as well. Because I'm sure when you were a kid, taking care of your brother and making sure his his grades were good, that was a serious weight on your shoulders.
3: Oh, absolutely, it, it was a weight on my shoulders, and and it was unfortunate that I had to go through that at that young age. But there, I mean, you know, I always try to keep it in perspective. There's always someone was worse off than you but at the same time I was stripped of that childhood and it caused a lot of problems a lot of issues that I had to face as an adult because you know I didn't know how to express my feelings I always took, kept everything inside because I didn't have anyone to talk to and it, it you know I was an introvert for a long time mm-hmm. and, and it does affect you down the line so it's very important for you to get help have someone to talk to have someone to lean on and help you get those emotions out. But you know, I'm I'm on all social media platforms. You know, I do have a PR team that, that does, you know, help run it. So if, you know, if anyone wants to DM me, uh, direct message me on Twitter or Instagram. I'm at Eric Coleman. As at E R I K C
1: O L E M A N, and you know, I would love to to help wherever I can. Right, and I think they reached out to they reached out to me. Dana reached out to me uh, to. Um have you come join our show for the hour we're going to go to break if anybody has any questions or want to call in with comments dial 866 472-5792 that's 866 472-5792 we'll be back in a moment
2: your life your health your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
4: Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with host Nancy
3: Kerala. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. Together with her guests, we'll explore C. diff infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Health & Wellness.
0: Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today, with one thing that has been consistent Ready to transform your health and your world? time on the voice america health and wellness channel you are listening to miracles in recovery to reach the program today please call into 1-866-472-5792 that's one 472 5792 you may also send an email to ray at miraclesinrecovery.org now back to this week's show
1: Hey, welcome back, everyone. We're on the line with Eric Coleman, a former NFL standout who played for the Jets, Falcons, and Lions. Never played for my team, the Giants, because then, you know, <laughs> then you would be great. <laughs> so, Well, he played for um, mine, the Falcons, so that's good. Yeah, yo, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Um, so... Ultimately, just to share a little bit about me, I am a recovering addict. I The last time I used a drink or a drug for effect was February 28, 1989. So far, God's blessed me with 29 years clean and sober. But Ellen is the mother of an addict, and I'm sure that she could probably have closer relatability with your story as you were dealing with addicts while I was dealing with people like you, you know what I mean? So I'm sure Ellen probably wants to connect a little bit. So um, Ellen, go ahead.
2: Well, I was going to say, first of all, um, I am – Truly amazed that at 11 years old you were basically raising your brother. I have three younger brothers. I think I probably <laughs> would have just ignored them and tried to get them out of my way. So the responsibility <laughs> that you showed is totally amazing. Um, but okay. I did want to ask you, first of
3: all, how are your parents now? Um, th- uh, thank you for asking. Uh, both of my parents are, are sober. Um, I'm, I know my father has been sober for he hasn't drank in three years now, but he, that's nice. because of partially because of some health problems. But my fa- my mother has been sober for thirteen years, and she's doing great. She works in the church, and um, I- I'm really proud of him. You know, I'm really proud wow. of my mother, the, the steps that she's taken, the growth that she's had as a woman, and um, and my father as well. You know, it's a, it's a big big step. I tell them all the time. You know, I'm very proud of what they're doing and to keep fighting the fight because uh, it means a lot to, to all their children. Yeah,
1: did no, they and, and everybody
3: else around. recovery
2: groups like AA or NA or any of those, or did they do it another way?
3: Um, well, my my mother, you know, initially she got sober while she was in prison. You know, my, right. my senior year in high school, my mother was in prison, and, uh, you know, while I was getting recruited by different colleges, my mother was away, and when I went to college, she was away. And, you know, it was a reality check for her. And, and she got the help needed there. You know, when she came out, she did go to support groups. Um, She's she heavily involved in the church. And, um, and and that really helps keep her accountable. So, you know, I talk to her all the time about the issues that she goes through and she went through. And, you know, how, how strong of a woman that she is for facing those issues and, and doing something
1: about it. Oh, you know, let me, let me, let me jump in here for a second.
2: Have, okay.
1: Um, the, you, you you know, you saying that? I the, the question that I have is, you know, on the on the uh, recovery aspect of it. Um, similarities between addicts. I know Ellen always says that we always turn into that same being. You end
2: up like Jaws. You're a shark at the yeah, end. The a, only thing sh- after yeah, yeah. The
1: drug. And do you, you do you notice that as a as a You know, a person who is um, assisting addicts more so, like, I never saw it. I never saw that when I weighed 133 pounds. I I never saw that because, you know, my my mind's eye was blind to it. Um, In the the recovery field, because you work for a couple of recovery organizations now, do you see similarities from your childhood to today, or is it a little different?
3: No, I, I definitely see similarities. You know, and and people trying to hide what they're doing. You know, they, and the the one thing that I always notice is like they don't want to be. You know, you don't want to be doing drugs. You don't want to be uh, stuck drinking alcohol. You know, it, it, and you don't want to hurt the people who are around you. You know, and that that was one thing with my mother is like I know that she saw the pain that that she caused me. You know, she saw that what she what I was going through, but she was addicted mm-hmm. and she didn't have help, and so. I see that a lot with people who are addicted to drugs. You know, they, they, they don't want to keep hurting these people. And that's why you have to, that's why I try to spread the word. And I, that's why I teamed up with Seasons Malibu, because they help spread the word about addiction, try to erase the stigma behind addiction. And they don't just help the fam- the, the addict. They help the whole family. You know, they help the children, they help the, the fathers or, you know, whoever else is around that family. They have family therapy treatments. They have, licensed clinicians at every level of the treatment, and just a really good facility with, with great people and uh and that's why I felt so strongly about teaming up with them and um it It, it has been a very positive positive situation for me and, and a lot of people
2: What made you decide to to reach out and and help other people? you know i think it, I think it's well, amazing that you did, but you know what was the catalyst
3: for that well you know i was I've always been a a, a player who was heavily involved in the community. Um, you know, when I was with the Jets, we did a lot of community awareness. And I, when I went to the Falcons with um, Arthur Blank, he was big on getting us involved in the community. So I learned at an early age to, to give back to those who are less fortunate than you. But uh, when I was done with my NFL career, I was in a deep depression. You know, when I, I was released from my, from my team, um, I didn't know what my identity was as a regular person. I was always Eric Coleman, the football player. And right. one of my closest friends and now business partners uh, actually owned the an IOP. And, um, and so I, I started learning, started asking questions about what was going on with, with treatment, with rehab. And I, I went to a lot of meetings and I started to think to myself, I could help. You know, I could be a voice. You know, I remember one game I did the pregame show for the Jets and I drove home during the game and I was listening to the radio broadcast. And during that broadcast, there was a, a commercial for, for treatment and erasing the stigma, and helping people get treatment. And it was sponsored by the Jets. And so I, hmm. that next day, I called the Jets. I said, listen, I want to be involved in this. I want to be a voice for, for addiction. I want to be a person that helps out. And they were very surprised because there are not many NFL players who are involved in the addiction space. And, um, and once I went to my first, I went to a candlelight vigil, spoke to some families, met some people who were affected by addiction. It just made me Really want to get involved and do more about it and, uh, and try to help other people.
2: I think it's, well, it's as a as a non addict, you know, it's so hard to understand how your loved ones can do this to you. And it sounds like you you gained the understanding of you know it is a disease and they don't want to do it, but they can't help themselves. After a while, it doesn't become a choice; it becomes a have to. I
3: agree, and. and The drug kind of takes a hold of you. And if you don't have the right people around you, you don't have the the proper, you know, places to go to to seek help, you know, it's going to crush you, you know, and and it's going to kill you. And so um, that's why I I love what Sam is doing and being active in the community. I love me personally being active in the community, trying to raise the awareness of it because, you know, it can do so many bad things to you and the, the people around you that You know, and people are ashamed of it. You know, a lot of times, you know, people, you know, they look at addicts as if there's something wrong with them, but they'll look at someone with heart disease or diabetes and feel sorry for them. You know, and and I want to erase that stigma and raise the awareness of addiction because it, you know, if you meet people on the street, then that's kind of what I've found. The more people you meet, the more people you know that are affected by addiction, by alcoholism, and, and it really affects everyone.
1: No that's it that's really very was. true because
2: and, and there there is so much there's so much shame you know and, and I was a very judgmental oh, excuse me oh, judgmental awful person really until it happened to me you know it mm-hmm. it's not supposed to happen to people like me it's not supposed to happen in my family and you know my daughter was an opioid addict in and out of jail in and out of rehab for 15 years You know, every time she gets arrested, it's in the paper. So after a while, yeah, you know, people wouldn't talk to me anymore because they thought I was Mm -hmm. a bad mom. And I wasn't, you know, but it took me a while to get there, too, for a long time. I thought it must have been something that I did. You know, maybe it's because I worked and put her in daycare, that kind of thing. And that's not it at all. It's a disease. But the the shame and the stigma that goes along with it are really cruel.
1: You know, but isn't it awesome to get help? Isn't it awesome to have the awarenesses that we all have now, of the you know, the mess that we walked through, our own personal mess, but it was a community mess. and and somehow, Eric living on the west coast affected us living on the east coast because all, you know, like you say, we we all turn into the same thing. The whole family unit just gets destroyed. and yeah, fortunate right enough to be, To be on the backside of it and to be able to come and share our experience, strength, and hope to let people know that there is a way out of the torment that you are physically standing in. And there's a lot of people who don't know how to ask for help. Like you said, you know, it's embarrassing. It's, you know, people would look down at you and, and you know, that that would happen to my, my mother. And I thought it was funny. Because at the time, being the emotional terrorist that I was, I used that as my angle, you know, which is which is so so wrong when I look back at it today. I mean it's that's that's devilish, you know, but that's who we become. And fortunate enough I can I can sit back and listen to your criticisms and support. And be grateful that there are people like you out in the world that that have the willingness to step up and say, hey, these aren't bad people. They just do bad things, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Because they have a disease.
3: Yeah and, yeah, and you notice how, you know, different people, different circumstances cause that addiction. You know, I know in the football world, you know, a lot of us get addicted because we're trying to play through injuries we're trying to keep our jobs. Right. And, you know, right. th- there's just so many different circumstances that, that can force someone into addiction that you never know. And I've learned early not to
1: judge anyone who's dealing with addiction because you never know what they're going through. Right. Now, when you were a child, did you have the aspirations of playing college football in to the pros? Or did you want to be a firefighter or a cop or something?
3: <laughs> yeah, that's funny. It's funny you ask that. You know, I, I always... You know I always loved football, you know it was you know the 49ers on my team, but I uh-huh. never really saw myself as playing you know coming out of high school, uh I wanted to be an FBI agent, and I had figured out my whole path. I was going to go to the Marines for a couple years uh-huh. like, you know go to go be a police officer and become an FBI agent, but you know, God had a different plan for me. you know I started yes. getting recruiting letters, I started getting <laughs> recruiting letters for football, and I was like, why are they sending to be letters? You know I didn't really think I was as good as I was. And then it turned out, you know, I was pretty good at football and, you know, teams started, colleges started offering me scholarships and, you know, I I accepted a scholarship to Washington State University, uh, where I went, I studied criminal justice at the beginning of my, my college career. And, you know, I played at an early age and school started becoming too heavy on me playing sports. So I switched it to communication. And, you know, I had a, I had a roommate from my sophomore year go to the NFL and I said, Oh, wait. He's really, really good. He's a lot better than me, but I'm pretty close. Maybe I can try this thing out. So I started working harder, and, you know, and, and it ended up happening. You know, and It was a, a great situation, and I'm blessed to play in the NFL because it gave, gives me the platform to help others, and uh, it's done so much for me and my family.
1: Oh, no, I'm sure. Absolutely. You know, and, that, and that's the thing. It's not, it's not that we see you on Sunday. It's all of the other stuff that you have to do to, one, get there, and two, maintain that. And that's that's an incredible focus. So when you carry that message in your back pocket and you're championing recovery, that carries that much more gold into the situation.
3: Oh,
2: yeah. You have a
3: voice. For, for, it's important for people with this platform. To, to raise awareness for, for a cause and, and to help others who are less fortunate than them. And, and I'm just blessed to be in this position that I'm in, that people actually listen to me and that I have an influence on people. So I want to use it for the best I can.
1: Yeah, no, I got you. We, we, we got a couple of minutes before we go to break, so I don't want to get into a long thing and then have to cut you off and then forget to, because I'm still a little brain dead after 29 years clean. But um, <laughs> <laughs> when you got to the Jets, how, how, um, how incredible was that draft day for you? Did you, did you think that you, would, that you would not have been, like, what, what's your serious thought process that day or that, you know, that draft time? Did you think you were going to be drafted, or did you think that you would have to walk on and do a tryout?
3: Well, you know, before the draft, you get different grades, and most of my grades were mid to late round grades. So I was going to be, um, at the time, they had two days. You know, The first day was rounds one through three, and the second right. day was rounds four through seven. And so I figured I was going to be a second-day guy, and um, you know, I, had just hoped, I had hoped to, to be drafted as early as possible. And um, when I was going through that process, I, I went to my grandmother's house. My grandmother was out of town, and I was watching the draft all by myself because I didn't want <laughs> to be around anyone. My mother threw a big party at the house and had all my family over, and I wanted nothing of it because I was, I was nervous. I was a nervous round. Oh, I'm sure. I remember watching. I was watching the draft on ESPN, and it was they showed round four on the second day, and then after round four was over, it went to ESPN two. So round four ended, and it went to ESPN two. And I'm tra- I'm trying to change the channel to get the ESPN two, and my grandmother didn't have it, and so now uh... I can't watch the draft. But I have no idea what's going on, and I was a nervous wreck. I, I went outside. I called my agent. I was crying. I was worried. You know, I didn't know if I was going to get drafted. And I was just an emotional wreck. And I remember going back into my grandmother's living room, and my phone rang, and it was a 516 area code, which is Long Island, New York. And I didn't know that at the time. I answered the phone, and they said, this is, you know, so-and-so from the New York Jets. If the Falcons don't draft you with this pick, you're going to be a New York Jet. And I remember just thinking to myself, like, oh, my goodness, this is going to happen. Right. um, they said, "They said, congratulations! You're a New York Jet. How do you feel?" And I, you know, told them I felt amazing. And you know, I was going through all those emotions. And I call, I picked up the house phone and called my mom's house. And I didn't say anything because it didn't show up on television yet. And as the middle, in the middle of our conversation with the Jets, I hear this big roar on my house phone. It nah. had been announced on TV, and everyone was celebrating. And after the conversation was over, I, I drove to my mom's house. And I was greeted by my whole family. And I remember just getting out of the car and just broke down crying. And, you know, I, I just thought about all the things that I had been through in life and all the, the struggles and the trials and tribulations. Right. And, you know, I was, I was actually in the NFL. And it was, it was a great feeling. And it was, it was one of the best days of my life.
1: Right. No, you made cool. it. I mean, and that's, no, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, that, that's incredible. We are going to go to a break right now. Um, if you want to call. Ask Eric a question or, you know, share a little of your experience, strength, and hope. Dial 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. We'll be back in a moment.
2: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness.
3: Are you tired of the healthcare system only treating your symptoms and never addressing the root cause? Discover how integrative medicine can resolve health issues through dietary and lifestyle changes and the use of natural supplements. Increase your energy, memory, mood, immune system, sexuality, and more. Join Dr. Sunil Pai and Maureen Sutton to help you take back your health with natural evidence based solutions. Tune in every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health & Wellness Channel. Have you figured out what to attract in your life in order to make it successful? There are those who can and those who can learn. Your intensified energy gives you willpower to
4: move the bar forward and be happy.
3: Happy people spread their energy throughout their lives. And once they figure it out, go on to be successful at nearly everything they set their mind to. Join host Ellen Morano and her panel of guest experts and co-hosts on Generate Massive Energy for a Fulfilling Life. Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America
4: Health and Wellness. Tune in Wednesdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, and Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Women's Channel. We got the pie.
1: Hey, welcome back. We have Eric Coleman, former NFL standout with the New York Jets, Atlanta Falcons, and Detroit Lions, on the line. And you know, something just kind of hit me that we breezed over really before. You do a radio show with Sirius Radio, right? It's a, it's a football show. Correct. I'm I'm on Sirius XM NFL Radio.
3: You know, I love I love talking about the game of football. You know, I'm blessed to be able to to spread my knowledge of the game both on Sirius XM NFL Radio and I cover the New York Jets. I know you love the Giants, but yeah. I cover the Jets. I do their do their pre and post game <laughs> shows and uh, I do quite a quite a few shows for them. So it's it's great. You know, I played the safety position. I was the quarterback of the defense. So I had to know whatever everything was going on. I had to right. tell the guys where to get lined up and know, you know, how quarterbacks were attacking us. So it's it's great for me as a former player to be able to share that knowledge with the fans and, and still study the game, but I don't have to worry about getting hurt. And, uh, you know, so, it's just, so it's the best of both worlds.
1: Well, I'm looking at, like I said, I'm looking at your bio when you have like 26 different jobs. You never thought about coaching? <laughs> never thought about going into coaching after? I mean, because you did say when ultimately, and I wa- I did want to bring that up too. You said that you were kind of lost when you were released, finally released. And I think that happens to a lot of people, right? Because their focus throughout their whole career is football. And then all of a sudden that's taken away, Um
3: yeah, you know, and that's what happens. You know, I grew up my whole life. You know, I you know going through high school, uh, in college, I was Eric Coleman, the football player. But going through the NFL, you know, it was Eric Coleman, the football player. And the crazy thing is, I always thought of myself as more than a football player. I was like, you know, I'm more than a football player. I can do other things. But when I I wasn't prepared to stop playing football, and I, when I finally got cut, I was like, I know I'm more than a football player. But what am I? All right. And it was a, it was a tough thing to face. You know, I had. At the time, I had two children. You know, I had a wife. You know, I had bills to pay. And, um, you know, it, it was really tough. You know, my identity was lost. And you, know, you were in Detroit. I, <laughs> I, yeah. Was, at that time, I moved back. I moved back to New York. And I was like, my day would be going great. I would be working out, and someone would come up to me and say, Oh, Eric, you know, are you still playing football? And then I would go dark. Or I yeah. would be having a good day playing with my kids. And I would see on ESPN, there was football on the television. And I would go dark. And for that year, I didn't even watch football. I, I was like bitter towards the game. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, but I, you I know, But but my my wife was always on me. She was like, Eric, you know, you explain the game well. You explain it to my mother, who comes from Sicily. She's an immigrant from Sicily, and she knows about the game of football. You need to be on TV talking about it. And I was like, No, I would never do that. You know, I don't like football. And and then one day the Jets called. They said, hey, We're well, going to do a preseason show for us. And and I went in to do the show, and I loved it. I I loved the show. I came home, and I couldn't hide it from my wife. She's like, you loved it. She's like, and I told you that you would love it. And, you know, ever since then, I I stayed on with that network for that whole season. Um, Now I'm about about to start my fifth season with SNY covering the Jets. And so many things have come from that. You know, the Sirius XM NFL radio, uh, the college football, uh, Pac-12 network, um, CBS Sports Network. And it's Jeez. really been a blessing
1: to, to to spread my knowledge of the game and and to, to show my personality over the TV and the airwaves. Now, who do you who do you do the um, uh, Sirius show with?
3: Um, you know what? I'm so I'm a, I'm a young guy in the Sirius family, so I do a lot of plug-ins. So I do a okay. lot of Saturday mornings. Um, you know, I spend a lot of time with Bob Papa, with um, yeah. Zig Fricasi. Uh, uh-huh. You know, there, there are a lot of great football minds that I, that I do do the shows with, and Sirius is a really big family, and everyone's knowledgeable of the game, and they're, and they're so so accommodating. You know, I, like I said, I'm a young guy in this in this radio and television world, and they make things so easy for you, just like you guys do.
1: Now, now let me ask you a question. Do you think back to a little bit of a recovery-minded um, conversation, do you think that when you ultimately were you know, um, football was taken away from you, do you think that at that point, somehow that little eleven-year-old that wanted to make sure that his brother was getting straight A's, kind of kicked in. Did you kind of think maybe you reverted back to that process a little bit? <laughs> yeah,
3: and, and I think that that eleven-year-old is still in me because you know I have all these jobs, and like my my goal when I was eleven years old was to get out of my situation. You know, I don't want to be like this. I just right. want a normalcy in my life. And now that I'm not a football player, I'm like, you know, I have to make money outside of football. I have to do things and come up with an identity outside of football. And it's the same person that's fighting and and clawing and trying to strive for for better. You know, I I never want to go back to that situation. I want to want better for my children. I don't want them to ever want for anything. And I want to be the best father and husband I can
1: be. Did you do any Al-Anon or anything like that for yourself to get yourself straight? In the, in the head went before?
3: You know, I, I, di- I didn't do Al-Anon, but I did see a psychiatrist. And this is okay. while I was playing. You know, there was a, there was a tough patch in my career uh, when I was in New York where things weren't going right on the field. I was stressed out about life outside of football. And I was like, I need to go talk to someone. And, and I saw a psychiatrist. And all of these issues just started pouring out that I had no idea that were bothering me. You know, and it was like, you know, like I said before, I was handling everything on my own. I was helping raise my brother on my own. You know, I was going through all these issues by myself, and so I buried everything and talked. Well, you probably
2: thought you were supposed to because you're supposed to be tough. Yeah, exactly. And 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 you're a a human being, and you know, sometimes (laughs) you can't be.
3: Yeah, you're just so prideful, and, and you think you have to be tough, and you think that it's showing weakness. And when I was talking to those therapists, you know, those sessions. You know, i I cried, you know I laughed, i you know I let out a lot of different emotions, and it changed the person I was. I was dating my my now wife at the time, and our relationship got so much better after these sessions' just because i was I was more secure in myself now i wasn't insecure i had self esteem and, and it really did help me, so I urge everyone
1: to get help right self help self help on any aspect, on any level is is incredible. Coming out of the backside of it, you look at it and you say like, wow, why did I wait so long or, you know, but ultimately it takes that, it takes that stress point in order for us to surrender and and everyone surrenders, not only the addicts, but the, the family members, the alcoholics family members, they have to surrender to it as well. I see people, Ellen and I know some people who are still angry and they're, their loved ones have been clean and sober for years and they're still carrying or
2: they're, or they're dead and they're still carrying the anger.
3: And it's just
2: so, you know, so useless. It
3: only hurts. Yeah, you. And, 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 and that was one thing that, that attracted me to seasons. You know, they, they, they do family counseling and they, they let the family members understand what it's like to go through addiction. They understand that it's, not just the addict going through the issues, it's the whole family, and there's healing to be had for everyone. And, and that's, what, that's what I love about it. And, and that's what's so great about raising awareness about the addiction process is that everyone now knows about it. and It is not a secret. It's not uh, something that's it's not a negative stigma to it. You know, Everyone knows that, that it affects the whole family. It affects friends. It affects children. And there's something that can be done about it.
1: Right, right. And, and the you know, the 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 great thing about it is is there are people like you that share your experience, strength and hope, you know, because they're like I said, there are family members who still don't know how to act accordingly with the individual that is getting clean. You know, the individual that got clean or sober is going forward with their life, and some people are still, you know, their loved ones are still stagnant because they don't know how to get out of that funk. And it's it's awesome that there are people out there like you that are advocates for both sides of the addiction process. You know, and so share a little bit about how people can get in touch with you. You said. You, you you speak at schools and all of that. Share a little bit about how people can get in touch with you, just in case somebody wants to reach out to you locally in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, and have you come share a little bit of your experience, strength, and hope with their senior class. Well, you know, I, I have
3: some, some great publishers that, that I work for, or that, that work for me, and they do a great job of, of getting things out. You can reach out to Seasons at Malibu to get in touch with me. Um, also on social media, you know, at Eric Coleman, E. R. I. K. C. O. L. E. M. A. N on Twitter and Instagram. Um, they can send me a message on there, and you know, a lot of times my PR team would, would find those messages and reach out to people. And you know, I, I love giving back. I love speaking to the kids. Uh, I love trying to help out wherever I can. Um, so, so it's a it's a wonderful thing
1: to be able to help. It absolutely is. and and you know, really I commend is. you, I commend you for for your efforts within the you know addiction community, not only and all the other things that you do. I mean, just just listening to you, you have a passion for what it is that you shared about. you know, whether we were talking about football or whether we were talking about um, anything else, along with addiction, I can hear the passion in your voice, and that, and that's very, very important because we need people to go out there and, and stump the streets and, and eradicate this disease. I mean, what's the, what's the number up to a day of people? I mean, I stopped counting of people that are dying on a daily basis. I, stopped, I think, what was it, like 143? 144. That's sad. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's yeah, so that's sad.
2: And we figure that's, that that's probably a low number because a lot of times overdoses are blamed on other things.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course, like car accidents or anything else yeah. other than that, you know, so sure, yeah, you are, yeah. you are correct, that is it. Uh, yeah,
2: arrest, yes, caused by opioids.
1: Well, this is this has been an awesome show, Eric. We've got about two minutes left, so I don't want to be in the middle of a conversation and then just have to cut you off and go, oh, what happened? That was interesting, <laughs> and now we're gone. So um, we are worldwide, People are listening to you right now in countries that you probably can't even spell. I will send you the um, I'll send you the list of where people where people listen, and it's incredible when you think of it. Like, you know, they listen. Of course, in the United States, we have a huge audience in in Ireland. Uh, we have a a real big audience in Canada, and then we get like these 56 people listening in Russia, or 42 people listening in Indonesia. So it's kind of incredible when I look at the stats after the show of where our message reached. So not only is your message local, your message is worldwide tonight, and I think that's pretty awesome. Wow, Wow! and I thank you for having me on the
3: show. It's been an honor to share my story, to share my experiences with you all, and uh, I'm truly humbled that you guys would have me be a part of such a great show. And it's been no. really nice talking to the two of you.
1: It's It's been awesome talking to you, too. Stay blessed, my friend, and uh, <laughs> watch out for that heat up in New York. It's
2: <laughs> been a real too. honor, Eric. Thank you.
1: July. And we have... Like one minute left, Ellen. So usually at the one minute mark, what do we do? We kind of ramble down and say, with miracles in recovery. Hope is in your corner. Stay blessed, everyone.
2: Good night, everyone. Good night.
0: Thank you for joining us this week for Miracles in Recovery.